power of the soul. We're going to be talking about your soul this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the anointing. You have said that the anointing abides in us, and so we believe for that anointing to teach us and show us things that we are hearing. May our hearts be pliable and flexible in your anointing and your love, and may our minds be transformed. May bodies even be healed. We believe that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Look at um, John 16, 33. This is going to be the last Sunday that we do this. Next Sunday, we're going to have a, a new scripture, probably for the rest of the year. But this is John 16, 33. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials, distress and frustrations, but be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain and undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of its power to harm you. And I have conquered it for you. You know, when we have trouble in our life as far as uh, being emotionally upset or just things not going right, the problem is in our soul. When your soul is made up of your mind, where you do your thinking, your will, where you do your choosing and your emotions, where you do your feelings, where you have all of your feelings. So those three Things are really powerful for which direction you go in life. And so, First uh, Chronicles chapter 21, I'm going to talk about David this morning. David was a man who had a heart after God, but he was influenced at times from the devil. Did you know you can be influenced by the devil? You can. And uh, a lot of times that when we are influenced by the devil, that's when you make poor choices and poor decisions. And this is what happened with David in First Chronicles chapter 21. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Let me say this, though. Satan cannot make you do something. Satan does not have power over your life. To make you do something. Verse 2 says, So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? So Joab knew that this was a no-no. This, whether it was pride or there's many reasons why. But if you look at uh, Exodus chapter 30, uh, around verse 12, I believe it is, it's God told the people and the leaders, the only time that you should take a census is when they bring an offering or a sacrifice. That is when you take a census. David evidently was just doing this for, I don't know, pride's sake, to see uh, how big his army was, to see how big his nation was. And uh, so it was a big deal to God because uh, in that culture, in that time, man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel, God said, did not belong to David. It belonged to God. Israel belonged to God, and, but yet David was acting like it was 
something that he had a right to do. He was in sin. He was doing something. And if you look at Exodus chapter 30, it talks about if you do this, it keeps the plague away. Well, because David disobeyed that the Bible says that God came to David and said, uh, actually it was a prophet, and said, all right, David, you've sinned, you've done wrong, and he admitted that he did wrong. This is why David had a heart after God, that when he did wrong, he was quick to repent. All of us, you know, we do wrong from time to time, and, and so a lot of times we try to justify our wrong, don't we? And, uh, or try to be like, well, I did it because of that. You know, the best thing is to do, you know, yeah, I messed up. Just suck it up and just say you messed up and you did wrong. And that's the best way to get out of it. And that's what David was good at. When he did, he did a lot of wrong things, but when he did wrong, he would just say, I did, I did wrong. And so he had three choices. Uh, it could be three years of famine, three months of his enemies defeating the nation, or three days of a plague. And so he chose uh, the plague, three days. And at the end of the three days, he was going to make an angel appeared. And not only did he see it, uh, many people who were around saw this angel with a sword drawn. And so that would get your attention. And so uh, he was going to make a sacrifice, a great sacrifice to God and uh, to show his repentance and just to show that, you know what, God is still the center of my life. And he did do that. And the place, this is which is really neat, the same place that he made that sacrifice. It's the same place that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, and it's the same place that Jesus was sacrificed, just real close to that. So all of those three major sacrifices were done at the same place. And um, the fire fell when Solomon sacrificed to dedicate the temple. It was right there. And fire fell when David offered his sacrifice there. So even though David did this wrong, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, this is New Testament, thousands of years after David, and this is God's testimony of David. Did you catch that? This is after he committed uh, murder to Uriah the Hittite, the wife of Bathsheba. He, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, and did all these terrible things. David had a lot of mess-ups. But this is God's testimony. Listen to this. This is God's testimony of David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You know what? That tells me something about the character of God that we all can learn from. We are quick to point the finger. We are quick to be critical, and we are quick to judge. And if anybody could have do that, it is God. And yet he said, I mean, he could have said, yeah, David, he's a good man, but David's a good man, but, you know, this is what we tell people that really you believe Everything after the but. You, go, you can say all kinds of stuff before the but, but it's really what you believe after the but. And so, um, so he sat there and he said this. You know, David did all of these things, and he's still a good guy. 
He didn't mention any of those bad things. He just said, David is a man after my own heart, and he's a man who would do all my will. And you think, well, God must be lying or have amnesia. or What's going on with God to say something like that? This is called the mercy and the grace of God. His thoughts toward you are good. I said his thoughts toward you are good. Aren't you glad that God doesn't? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that he's not even keeping a record of your wrongs, of your sins. Why? He's keeping a record of every good thing. He just has great thoughts toward you, good things toward you. And he sits there and testifies to the whole world that David is a man after my own heart. And he is a guy that is willing to do all of my will. Listen, this should be our character, ladies and gentlemen. This is something that you and I have the ability to do, to look at people differently through the eyes of God. Instead of sitting there and saying, well, I'll tell you what, they did this and they did that. And we keep a mental record of everything that wrong that people have done to us. And then you make a country music song about it. But I don't know. But this is the thing, you know. We need to just let it go. You want me to sing the Disney song? Okay, I won't. But anyway, you need to let it go. Let it go. But we need to cut people some slack and give them grace. Don't you want that? I said, don't you want mercy and grace when you mess up and you open your mouth and insert foot or you do something wrong to somebody and, and you just think, man, I can't believe I did that or, or whatever, you know. I want mercy and grace. But um, David did wrong. He was really influenced and he chose poorly from the Satan just getting on his back. And listen to me, all of us are not immune to this. I love the illustration I heard Andrew Womack said. He said, you know, none of us can fly. We can't fly. You can jump off a building, but you're going down. You, you, I don't care how far you flap your wings. You remember Gilgan's Island? He, he, he made wings, and the skipper said he couldn't fly, and he jumped off the cliff, and he was flying. I mean, he was not going down. He was flying. And uh, he says, you can't fly. He goes, I can't. No, you can't fly. And then he fell down. But uh, so he can't fly. Gilligan proved it, that none of us can fly. So, but this is the thing. When you're in an aircraft, you're flying because of what you're in. You're flying because of what you in, you're in. But once you step out of the aircraft, thou shalt fall to the ground. It's what you're in that get, listen to me, it's what you're in that gives you the ability to fly. The Bible says you and I are in Christ, and that gives us the ability to be healed, to be prosperous, be successful, to have victory in every area of our life. It's because of what we are in. But once you don't have that kind of mentality, once you feel like you can step out of in Christ, don't get me wrong, you're not stepping out of salvation. I'm, not, I'm trying to make a, an illustration. But when you're not knowing that what you are, who you are, and you think you can get by yourself without God, then it's like stepping out of the aircraft. Does that make sense? Andrew said it a lot better, but anyway. It's our position in Christ. It's our position in Christ. And once we have a revelation of that, I'm telling you, it's easier to walk in healing. It's easier to walk in prosperity. It's easier to walk in victory in every area of your life once you understand that. 
But David had some pride issues. Obviously, he had some issues. But David also understood the power of his soul, the power of his soul. Let me just give you some background of David. You know, he was a teenager when Samuel came and anointed him to be the next king over Israel. And so he was a teenager. He was anointed. Samuel said, God has chosen you, David. You're going to be the next king of Israel. You're going to be the next. At that time, Saul was king. Listen, it took, some theologians say 13, others 15, 13 to 15 years from the time he was anointed till he actually took the throne. That's a lot. I don't know about you, but if you, I would have thought, okay, I'm going to be king. I would think it's going to be soon. To me, 13 to 15 years is not soon. Maybe it is to you, but not to me. So during that time, Saul became his enemy. Saul hated him and tried to kill him because he was the king. He knew David was going to be the next king. He even said that, but he tried to kill him. He chased him down and chased him down. and chased. David ended up for years living in the caves, running for his life. Year after year, Saul tried to kill him. So eventually, toward the end of those 13 to 15 years, David moved to the Philistine, the enemy territory. And everybody heard about David because he killed Goliath, the Philistine's hero. And so when David went to the Philistine territory, he acted like a madman. And uh, the Bible said he had drool coming down his beard, and he uh, acted like he lost his mind. And this is the thing. You know, I thought, well, why didn't they just kill David? Because they knew he was an enemy. Why didn't they just kill him? Culture says this. The reason they didn't that because if you ever killed somebody who they thought was insane or had mental issues, that the spirit that was in them would come on you the person who killed them. So nobody would ever, ever kill anybody like that. So that was, I'm not saying it was right what he did, but it was smart because it spared his life. But I'm saying this is what David was facing. He did that, and then eventually he uh, had, he got in good with one of the Philistine rulers, and uh, he said that he, they were raiding the camps of Israel, you know, and when reality they were, David and his 600 men were raiding uh, the camps of the Philistines and other Amalekites and people like that. So uh, this was going on. This was David's life. And so then we get to at the end of the 13 to 15 years, and uh, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Verse 1, it says, Now it happened when David and his men, they were out on a raid, and they were coming back. To Ziglag, that was where they were camped out at, on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and they attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did, they did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's a powerful statement. Listen, they wept until they had no more power to weep. 
they were just totally devastated. Their soul had just lost all ability to even show any emotion anymore. That's how bad this was. So do you get the picture of how bad this is? All right. So it's really, really bad. Verse 5. And David's two wives, Ahinium and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. This is where Starbucks gets their drinks, Carmelite. Some of you are almost going to sleep. So anyway. Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Now, listen to me. David lost his two wives and his kids. So you get the picture? And now, on top of that, his men said, it's David's fault. We're going to kill him. So he had to deal with that, too. This is a bad day. You understand? This is a real bad day. You talk about a bad hair date. No, this is more than a bad hair date. This is a really, really bad day. So now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Their soul was so grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But, and this is a good place for a but, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David one, the King James Version or one of the versions says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. The New Living Translation says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. There's nothing, nobody could say anything to David to help him. You know, it's like what's going on in Texas with those 19 children killed. There's nothing anybody can say to those parents. Nothing can anybody say to, to help him, really. God is the only thing that can give strength and hope to people in that kind of situation. But there's times in our lives, you may have not lost a a child, but whatever you and I face, this is the answer. Are you hearing me? Because people, you know, they can't continually give you strength. People can't continually give you courage. People... You know, they have their life to live, and so eventually life is going to go back to normal for them. And so what are you going to do during that time? What are you going to do? You can't depend upon people to always encourage you. But the Bible says that David found strength in the Lord his God. He found strength. He turned to God. David could have said, I don't know about you, but after being anointed king... And then 13 to 15 years of hell on earth. That's basically what David was doing for 13 to 15 years. Running for his life. Everybody, the, the children of Israel were trying to kill him. The Philistines were trying to kill him. Everybody on the planet wanted David dead. He had 600 men that were standing with him. And now, after 13 to 15 years of that kind of living, now his own 600 men talked. They didn't just think it or they actually said and David heard with his own ears them saying that this is David's fault that all of our wives and children have been taken. So they talked of stoning him. Most people at that time would have said I quit. What is the use And people, maybe you've even said this, you've heard people say this, I can't take anymore. 
I cannot take any more. I'm done. I can't take any more with this life. If there was anybody that could have said that, it would have been David. After everything that he had experienced, and now no one, he lost his wives, he lost his kids, no one was standing beside David, not even his 600 men that have given their life for him. Now they're turning against him. So when you and I are in a place that could be like David, to be tempted to say, I can't take anymore. Maybe you've even said that. I'm done. I'm finished. I can't take this. This is the answer, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation, no trial regarding it as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes to where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you. That is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance. Did you hear that? No temptation, no trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to the word and to his compassionate nature And he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure it. But with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. This is God's word to you and me today. There is nothing you and I will ever face on this planet that can overtake you and cause you to say, there's no no hope for me. I give up. There is nothing that you and I can say, this is too powerful for me to get over. This is too tragic for me to get through. As far as God is concerned in his word, he's saying that there is nothing you and I will ever face that causes us to be able to say that in all honesty. Why? Because of God. Because of him. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's with me. Nobody's... If David could have said all of those things, and those were all true statements to say that, okay, nobody's for me. At that particular time, nobody was for David, his own men. Nobody was for him. And so we try to justify how bad it is. You don't understand, Pastor Mike, how bad it is. I may not. But I do know the answer to how bad it is. And I do know no matter what you and I are facing, no matter how tragic, how bad it is. Well, Pastor, has this ever happened to you? Probably not. But then you just don't know. No, I don't. But I do know the one who does know. And the Bible says he will make a way of escape for you. If you are with God, there's always going to be an exit sign. This way. This is the way. There's always going to be an exit sign with God. Isn't that good news? I'm telling you, that's great news. 
Because we think, man, I hope nothing ever bad like that happens. And, and trust me, I mean, nobody does. But at the same time, no matter how bad something happens to you, we have hope. And we have a way of escape, a way to talk to our soul to say we're not giving up, we're not quitting. This is the most powerful thing. At that time, at Ziglag, when all of that happened, he asked God. He said, okay, before you kill me, guys, let's ask God about something. So they got the prophet, and they brought him in and said, should we go after the Amalekites who did this? And God spoke to the prophet and said, yes. So they went after the Amalekites, and the Bible says this. They recovered all of their wives, all of their kids, and not only did they recover their stuff, they got all the other stuff that the Amalekites have been raiding city after city, town after town, and gathered up. They got all of their stuff as well. So they had more than what was stolen from them. And listen to this. Approximately two days later, David sat on the throne as the king of Israel. Just two days later. What are you saying all that for? What if he would have quit? What if he would have said, I can't take anymore. I give up. I'm finished. I'm done. Well, more than likely, the 600 soldiers would have killed him right then and there. But he had the audacity to reach within himself the power and the love that God had for David. He reached in and he tapped into the love of God. He reached in and tapped into the power of God. In his own soul, he believed something. In his own soul that he believed that it can't get any worse than this, ladies and gentlemen. He believed something greater that on the outside he believed something greater on the inside was going to transpire. Man, what a great victory. What a great story. He got all everything back, and two days later, he was king. They say this, that the darkest time before morning is dawn. Right before the sun rises is the darkest time. How many believers, how many people have given up or quit Right before dawn. How many? How many people have went to their grave? How many people? I'm telling you, there's power within each and every one of us, first of all, to know how to encourage. What, how did David know to encourage himself in the Lord or strengthen himself to the Lord? How can we do this? I'm going to give you just a, a couple of things. There's several, but I'm, for time's sake, I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. But you, beloved, building yourself up. How do you build yourself up? Well, he said... On your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I believe it's twofold. I believe you can pray in the Spirit in English. But I also believe that it means praying in tongues. 
It means both. Praying in the Spirit means praying. You can be Spirit-led even in your praying in English. But you can also pray in tongues, but your brain doesn't have a clue what you're praying about. What, is this, what does this do? The Bible says when you do this, it makes no sense. So that, you know, our walk with God is by faith. So when you pray in tongues, it is 100% faith because most people think that that's really crazy. It's really crazy praying in tongues. I remember when I was 18, year old, 18 years old, and I was filled with the Spirit. I was in um, overseas in England, and um, I got this letter because I just thought this praying in tongues was just me making noise, and there was no significance behind it. And I remember going to church, so I was doing it and just babbling. It felt like just weird stuff coming out. So I went back home when I got out on leave. I went to church, and this prophet, I know there's a lot of people call themselves a prophet, but this guy, he had a lot of things that he said that came to pass. So he called me up. He didn't know me from Adam. He was visiting our church, and he's preached and spoken. After he preached and he spoke, he called me up. Hey, young man, he was from England, had a super strong. He was about 6'4", and his fingers were that long. <laughs> because I was sitting near the back, and he said, young man. And, of course, I turn around, and I'm going, please don't be me. Please don't be me. Please don't be me. And there's nobody else behind me. And he said, yeah, you, you. The redhead, I hadn't read here back then. The red, come, come here, come here. And his finger, I mean, it was like going. <laughs> he brought me up there, and I'm going walking up there. And I, <laughs> it was no FedEx walking that day, let me tell you. It was baby steps. So he brought me up there, and he says, the Lord has a word for you. Which I had no clue what that even meant. I was new to all of this stuff. He put his hands on me, and I felt just like electricity all over my body, he's, and he starts speaking over me. He says, you have doubted about speaking in tongues. I have not said one word to anybody about this. I didn't even talk to God about this. It was just a thought process that I had, that it's just me. I don't believe in this stuff. I'm just wrong. I was deceived in all of this. It was just stupid and everything, and I'm never going to do it again. And I didn't. And he says, you, you have not believed in the speaking of tongues, but the Lord shall tell you this day. That it is for me, and you shall know from this day forward that it is me, saith God. And it just goes on and on, and I just start, I mean, I'm bawling. I'm bawling, because I feel the power of God, the anointing of God, and most importantly, I felt his love. Something that I was thinking wrongly, that God knew, and he says, I'm going to help you on this one, Mike, and you didn't even ask for my help. I was 18, so whatever year that was. Actually, I think I was 19. So that was 1978, and I've been speaking in tongues ever since 1978. This is the thing that you need to know, that when there's many benefits, there's a little booklet back there called Why Tongues, but one of the benefits is that it builds you up and can encourage you. So, man, if you're getting depressed or whatever, just go, okay, I'm going to go to my closet, and I'm going to speak in tongues for the next whatever. I'm going to just speak in tongues. 
The Bible says it does something. You say, well, I, it doesn't make sense. Listen, this is why we serve God. Everything. Do you have to understand everything? That would call, make you God. If you knew and understood everything, that, then we would have to call you God. That's never going to happen, just so you know. But you just believe that. Believe that it will encourage you. It will build yourself up. The Holy Spirit's been given to you to build yourself up. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, but the Comforter. The very first phrase, but the Comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. So if you want to be encouraged, we got to lean upon the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. He can comfort you like nobody on this planet. He can minister to you without saying anything. And you don't need a prophet to call you up to lay hands on you and speak over you. You can hear what I'm saying today, and you know for a fact that God is your comforter. He's inside you, and he will comfort you in every area of your life. And so, encourage yourself in the Lord. How? Dig into the Word and just talk to God. Tell him how David, through the Psalms, if you read Psalms, it's day, a lot of those are David just pouring his heart out. When Saul was trying to kill him, he wrote Psalms, and it's recorded how God, man, my enemy's trying to kill me. I've done nothing wrong. And he would encourage himself. And then remind yourself that you have control over your emotions. This is a big one. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against there's no law. Self-control. You look that up in the Strong's, it's the virtue of one who masters. Listen to me. You look it up in the Strong's. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. By that, you can control your, your appetite. By that, you can control any emotion that you are feeling or sensing. Oh, I just feel discouraged. You have, Listen to me. I'm not telling people, I mean, I know there's people that need help. They need counseling. They need to go to somebody for their mental capabilities. I'm not saying don't ever do that. Everybody understand? If you need help, honey, please get it. But I am saying, if you have a revelation, listen to me. If you have a revelation of 522, Galatians 5.22 and 23, you have the ability to control your emotions. If you believe that. If you don't, don't stop taking your medication. But there is the ability that's inside of you, whether you believe it or not, you have it. According to the word of God, you have this inside of you. You have the ability to control your emotions. This is the power of the soul that David understood. When the whole world was against him and he lost everything, he understood this, even though he was an Old Testament saint. Why? Because of his walk, relationship, and closeness to God. That's what I believe. He was acting like a new covenant believer before the new covenant was ever offered because of his relationship with the Father. How much more? 
how much more should you and I walk in victory? Galatians 5.24, my last one. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life has been put to death on the cross, and it's been crucified with the Messiah. So you know what? You can tell yourself, you know what? This discouragement, this depression, this has been crucified with God. I'm nailing it to the cross because I was crucified. So this issue, this emotion, I'm nailing it to the cross today. Listen, this is powerful because we need in a day in which we live where people on this planet are not controlling their emotions whatsoever. Nobody's controlling their emotions. Nobody's controlling their mouth. Everybody's saying and acting whatever way they please. But as believers, as the church of God, you and I should be setting the example as far as we have the ability to control, not because we are somebody so great, it's because of the greater one who lives in us. We have the ability to speak in tongues. We have the ability to speak to our own emotions. You know, if you feel like you can't handle it, go to the bathroom, go in the mirror and say, I'm talking to you, Mike. I'm talking to you right now. And so Mike points at Mike, right, if you do this in the mirror. Do you understand? You follow me? And I said, listen to me. You get a hold of yourself right now. The depression is done. You're done with that. You understand, Mike? You're done with that. Your your discouragement, no, not anymore. Why? Greater is he that is in me than anything coming against me. You have that ability. It's just most of the church doesn't believe that. Most of the church around the world doesn't believe that. If it happens, you know, we just, that's just why the Bible says we don't sorrow as the world sorrows. Why? Because of what's inside of us. He didn't say you don't sorrow. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't ever cry. Don't ever show any emotion. Don't ever, I'm not saying that. Don't get stupid on me. There is a grieving process. I understand all of that. But, honey, if you're grieving, and, you know, I've talked to people and said, oh, really? When did your husband die? 1979. We have a problem. We have an issue. You understand? That's sorrowing like the world. We do not and should not do that. We have something greater. All right? You say, well, what, what, what is the, how long? I don't know. But I know it's not a lifetime. I know it shouldn't be years of your life. God's greater than that. He's greater than that. We need to rely and trust upon him. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. All of your ways acknowledge him. I'm telling you, God is for you today, and he doesn't want his kids living under the emotions, living underneath the barrel. He can pull us out. And what a great story by David. I don't know of any story that shows something so terrible for 13 to 15 years, and he pulls himself up with the power that is in him and says, you know what? We're going to trust God. Not only did he have victory getting his wives back, two days later, they were anointing him as king. Let's stand. He didn't give up. Guess what? God will never give up on you. It's us who give up. We give up on God. We give up on ourselves. We give up on the situation, and we just say, "I, I can't take this anymore. You know what? In reality, as a believer, we should never say that. We shouldn't. 
Can't take us anymore. I understand that. And after you say it, I pray that God brings this message back to your remembrance. I pray and believe that's my prayer for you today. That you will remember this in the time of adversity, at the time where the rug's pulled out from underneath you, when the world just slapped you down. And you can dust yourself back off and say, that was a good, good shot, but you know what? The righteous falls seven times, but he keeps getting up. That's all you have to do to win. Just don't quit. That's all you got to do to win. Don't quit. Father, I pray for each and every person, those that are watching. I just pray for all of us, God, that we will remember this. You'll put us in remembrance. And we can believe you. We can trust you. That greater is he that is in us than he that is coming against us. We trust and rely upon you, God. The great comforter. God, the Holy Ghost, to comfort people. And and when we're battling, when we're going through tough times, that we can talk to you just like David did. We can pray in the Holy Ghost and it just passes our brain and we can understand that God has given us his peace. I thank you that we don't have to pray for peace. We just need to yield to the peace that is in us. Yield to the power that is in us. Yield to the love that is in us. Just there, I just believe for us to have a revelation of the yielding and resting in you, God. The supernatural power that is in each and every one of us. And then, Father, remind us that we have the gift. It's been given to all of us. The fruit of the spirit of self-control. We have that in us. That we don't just have to yield to our flesh, yield to the world, to yield to what people are saying. No, we're going to yield to self-control. That's what we're going to yield to. We pray and believe that for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe this is a powerful message to help us. It's a powerful message to help you in your future. I just believe God's helping us. Listen, you know, I don't usually make a big deal about messages that I preach. You know, I, I hear some, it's, I'm not trying to put this down, but you know, you hear some messages. This is the most powerful message I've ever preached. And they say that every Sunday. I'm not saying it's not. Maybe they believe that. But last Sunday, I believe it was a message that our church needed to hear. So if you were not here, if you didn't listen to that message, you can go online, you can hear that. Uh, today, I don't know, did everything go good with the we started today doing live stream. We normally record the message, and then afterwards, after church is over, they download it onto Facebook and YouTube. But today, we got new equipment, and uh, so we are live streaming today. So this is, yay, amen. We can go all around the world live. So if I screw up, there's no taking it back. I'll just be like David. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God? Aren't you thankful that they are new every morning? And remember that you have the grace of God to flow not only in you, but that grace is to flow out of you to people who don't deserve grace, who don't deserve mercy, who don't deserve anything. But God wants you to show mercy and grace and love to them. Two things I'm going to try to keep saying this all throughout the year. You can tell when you're yielding to love by two major things, kindness and patience. If you're not being very kind, if you're not being very patient, you can rest assured 
that you've closed a door in your heart to the love of God to flow out. Wow. Anyway, it's just to help you. It, it's, it help, maybe I, it just helps me. Maybe I, but when I'm unkind and if I'm not patient, there's something that just goes off in my mind. Mike, you're not yielding to the love of God that's in you. You're not yielding to the love of God that's in you. So I just think those are two red lights on my dashboard. Boom. You're not being very kind. Boom. And you're not being patient. Oh, I need to be. The love of God in you. This is how the world's going to know you're my disciples. Your love for one another.